Our sermon text is Proverbs 28, verse 13, and you can find it on page 353 in the paper Bibles. Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses it and forsakes it will obtain mercy. This is the word of the Lord. It is uh, good to be back. I have been out of the pulpit for over a month now, which is kind of amazing. I've never done that before, and uh, I'm really excited to be preaching again. Uh, it has been a, a great summer, though. Uh, Chad and, and Stephen have done a wonderful job uh, in the sermons in the past week, uh, past few weeks. Um, this summer, we have been preaching through the book of Proverbs. And if you don't know, Proverbs are uh, wisdom sayings. They're small phrases that pack a punch. They're these short lines that have deep truth within them. And the one we're looking at this morning is certainly no exception. Uh, the passage we just read is a proverb dealing with how we handle sin. Really, it deals with our tendency to hide our sin. And, and in one sense, the wisdom here is, is almost obvious. It says, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them obtains mercy. In one sense, that's practical, right? In one sense, that's almost an obvious thing to say. We see this principle play out all the time. You might remember around this time last year, uh, the website Ashley Madison. Do you remember this being in the news? It was a website whose entire purpose was to help married people have secret affairs. But the website got hacked, all the information got leaked, and when that stuff was exposed, it led to all kinds of devastation. There were divorces, people lost their jobs, there were even several reports of people committing suicide. Secret sins are destructive when they're exposed. But this verse is about more than just that. This verse is about more than just the scandalous kind of sins. I think as we dig into this this morning, we're going to see that in this verse there is a profound truth that at its heart impacts every single one of us. There is a profound truth that impacts all of us daily. And that's going to come out here as we look at this, as we study it in light of the rest of Scripture. And what I want us to see this morning is, is three things. I want us to see how this shows us our inescapable need for covering, the way to find the right kind of covering, and then finally, what's going to make us seek after that covering. So our need for covering, the way to covering, and then what's going to make us seek after that covering. So let's just get right into it. We all have within us a need for covering. We have this inescapable desire to be hidden, to be covered. Now, our verse says, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. And maybe you're the kind of person that when I read that, you thought, well, I can zone out because I've got nothing to hide. Maybe you heard that and you said, uh, you know, I, I have no secrets. You're the kind of person who's who said, you know, I, I'm done with feeling guilty. I'm happy to let people know who I really am. I'm happy being me. You might say that, but I, 
I want to suggest to you that no one really lives like that. Even saying that in itself is a kind of hiding. Everyone hides. All you need to do is, is open up Facebook to figure this out. Right? What do you see when you log into Facebook? We see these carefully curated personas, right? People post pictures, they post articles, they, they have posts that try to communicate a very specific image of themselves, right? We want to present ourselves to us in a certain way to the rest of the world. We want people to think about us in a certain way. And so you see a picture of a beautifully organized plate of, of delicious food, right? But you don't see the pictures of the previous three straight meals of macaroni and cheese that you ate, right? You see pictures of smiling families, well-posed, but you're not going to hear anything about the three hours that couple spent the night before arguing about their finances. No one's going to let you know that it's been several months since they've had sex. Now, don't misunderstand me. I, I'm not advocating for a new approach to Facebook. I, I don't think we need to get any more honest on there. I'm just pointing out that there are certain realities about our life that we conceal from the world. We show the one world, we show the world one face, and then we live a different way. I think if we're being honest, at the very least we have to admit that our lives are inconsistent at best. That there are some things going on with us that we can't bear for anyone to find out about. There are some things in our lives that need to be covered. And here's where the problem comes in. So we live in this culture where we're used to showing everyone half-true versions of ourselves, and that can quickly become a culture of fear. That can quickly become a culture of shame. A world where we are afraid to let people see that we have weaknesses. Where we feel we, we can't let people see who we really are. A world where we show one face but that's not who we actually are. Deep down, we know we aren't that person. It's a world where we think we need to hide in order to prosper. That's the lie of sin. God says here in this passage, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But our heart says something else entirely, doesn't it? Our heart says, It'll be better if I deal with this on my own. I don't need to bring other people into this. If people found out, they, they wouldn't understand. They don't know what's going on. Or they our heart says, well, if people find out the consequence is too great for you to handle, so you better just bury it. Or maybe a really common one is, well, what I'm doing, it's bad, but it's not that bad. If things get worse, I'll bring somebody in. But, but for now... I think I'll be better off if I kept this inside. As I was preparing this sermon, I read the story of the mayor 
of Fairfax, Virginia. Did anybody see this pop up on the news? It was just a blip. The mayor of this affluent suburban area was arrested this week for trading meth for sex. And in the brief interview, I guess they, they, somebody managed to get with him, he said that it had been a really hard year for him, that he had foreclosed on his house, that he was struggling with bankruptcy, that all these things were going on. And the point is, meth for sex is not the first step, right? There are long, there's a long line of things that are going on in your life before you get there. But this guy didn't reach out, right? This guy instead chose to cover up. That's the lie of our sin, isn't it? The lie of the sin is cover it up, conceal it, hide it. And that's nothing new. Scripture tells us that when the world was first created, it wasn't, things weren't like that. When the, when humanity was first created by God, it says that our, our earliest ancestors lived together and that they were naked and unashamed. And what that means is that they, they had nothing to hide from one another. Not just physically naked, but also spiritually and emotionally naked. They had no feelings of inadequacy. No fears of, of not being accepted by the other one. No sense of discomfort. But as soon as they turned away from God's will, they hid. As soon as sin entered the world, they covered themselves. First, it tells us they covered their bodies. They got fig leaves and covered themselves up. Then they tried to cover their being. They hid from God when he came looking. And then when he approached them, they tried to hide their guilt, right? By pushing it off on someone else. Adam, he says, it was the woman that you gave me. Eve said, it was the serpent. And since then, since that moment, every single one of us, when we enter this life, we enter it with a nagging fear of exposure. We enter this world with an awareness that there is something in us that isn't right. That there is something in us that needs to be covered. That wouldn't be accepted. That we need to hide from each other. And if we need to hide from one another, well, certainly we want nothing to do with God. With the God who Scripture tells us knows when we sit down and when we rise up. A God who discerns our thoughts from afar. We know we need to be covered. We have an inescapable need to be covered. But what if it weren't that way? Can you imagine? What if you could live a life where you were not anxious about being found out? What if you could live a life where you weren't worried about being found out before men or before God? What if spiritually you were able to go back to that place where you could stand before God unashamed? Well, to do that, we have to find the right kind of covering. Our passage says, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But if you flip back a few pages, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there, Psalm 32. Actually, somebody turn there and tell me what page Psalm 32 is. 
296. Melissa wins the Bible drill. All right. We're going to look at both of these passages from here on out. In Psalm 32, David says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Isn't that interesting? Solomon says, Whoever conceals their transgressions won't prosper. And David, his father, says, Blessed is the one whose sin is covered. Now, if you take a moment just to, to read it, you realize they are actually saying the exact same thing. They're saying that there is a difference between a covering and a cover-up, right? Now, when it comes to house cleaning, I know a lot about cover-ups. <laughs> we host a community group at our house every week in the fall, and I am always the one in charge of tidying up before people come because I can make our house look presentable in about 15 minutes. Right? I know where every, I know all the holes, I know all the closets, I know all the blankets to cover things. I'm, I'm great at cover-ups. But when it comes to actual cleaning, <laughs> Melissa will tell you, as she tells me frequently, <laughs> I don't know how to clean. I don't know how to clean. I don't know how to do that deep cleaning stuff that she does that involves, you know, dusting off the tops of our ceiling fans and, and washing the baseboards of our house. When it comes to that stuff, I'd rather just you know, hide it away, push it away. See, I'd rather cover up the mess than deal with the mess properly. Now, both Solomon and David are telling us the same thing. They're saying, in our lives, we have a mess that needs to be dealt with. Our mess can't be covered up forever. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. David knew that. In this psalm, he describes what it was like when he was trying to conceal things. A couple of verses here in the middle, it says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Now, when you're trying to cover things up, you can tell yourself some stories. You can tell yourself that it's going to be easier this way. You can tell yourself you're really protecting other people. You can tell yourself the consequence for being caught would be too much to handle. But while you're waiting, the lies are growing thicker. The self-deception is layering on. The grime around the baseboards of your life is piling up. And eventually, that foundation is going to rot through. So what do we do? How do we deal with this reality? How do we deal with the deep-seated messes in all of our lives well, Solomon says, first, confess. Confession. That's a word that may need a little bit of uh, explanation in our culture today. You know, in our legal system, confession really just means admitting you did something. 
But the biblical notion of confession goes beyond that. The biblical notion of confession is a little bit more detailed. I think you can say fairly there's three parts of biblical confession. There is sorrow, there is ownership, and there is acceptance. All, all three things have to be in a biblical confession. First, there's sorrow. You know, David has such a wealth of, of emotion for us in the Psalms. And probably one of the best examples of repentance we have is in Psalm 51. And in that Psalm, he shows us all three of these things in verses three and four. He says, when confessing before God, David prayed, I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. So the first thing, sorrow. Sorrow and, and you might even say hatred for sin itself. He says, I have sinned and I have done what is evil. In that confession, David admits that his sin is the thing that's evil. And that's an important distinction because there is a big difference between feeling sorry for your sin and feeling sorry for its consequences. Do you guys remember Anthony Weiner? I feel like there's just like a long list of stories I can bring up for this sermon. Do you remember him? He was running, for, he was in Congress in 2011 and it came out that, that he was sexting with some woman on the internet and the pictures came out and he gave a press conference. He expressed remorse. He eventually had to step down from the office, but he was very sorry. He expressed his sorrow. And then two years later, he again was running for office in New York. And we found out he never stopped. <laughs> More of these pictures showed up from shortly after that initial press conference. You see, he was sorry, but he was really just sorry about what it cost him. Confession requires acknowledging that the sin itself is what's ruining our lives. Not the consequences that come about from it. So first, sorrow. Second, ownership. David says in his confession, I've done what's evil so that you may be justified in your words. It's a confession that says I've done wrong. It was nobody else's fault. I did it. Me. Me alone. Now, I know that we all have reasons why we do the things we do. There are always factors at play. Maybe you look at a situation and you say, I would have never done that if she didn't do this. I would have never been there if this hadn't happened to me. But when we really take ownership of our sin, we stop trying to push it off on everyone else and we say, I have done this. In the end, the decision was mine. And finally, the third part of this is acceptance. Sorrow, ownership, and acceptance of the consequences. David says, you are justified in your words and blameless in your judgment over my sin. Confession requires us to come and say, I deserve what I get for this. I did wrong and, and I'm ready to accept the judgment. This is probably the hardest part of this first part of confession. I can't tell you how many times I've sat down with people as a pastor, people who really do have remorse. 
They feel bad about their sin. They understand that they were the ones who did it. But then when you say, well, now you need to tell somebody. Now you need to bring this out into light and suffer the consequences. They say, no, I can't. Can't you just tell me I'm forgiven and can't I just move on? An unwillingness to accept the penalty, folks, it's just another way of denying your guilt. It's just another way of saying, well, what I did wasn't really all that bad. It's a way of minimizing what you've done. It's, it's actually a way of, of still trying to cover it up and move on. But hear this. Back in Psalm 32, if you still got it. I acknowledged my sins to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Do you see that? In those two lines, David shows us the upside-down reality of the gospel. That the only way for your sins to be truly covered is for them to be exposed. The only way for your sins to be covered, right? That's what he plays. Blessed is the man whose sin is covered. But that can't happen unless your sin is exposed. So, there's a true covering available for us. And it comes through confession. But what's going to make us seek that covering? What is going to make us do that? What's going to make us stop hiding and finally confess our sins? I thought about this a lot this week as I was looking at these passages. And truthfully, I don't think there's anything that can make us stop hiding. I think the desire is too strong. Our need for cover is too great. But if you look at this psalm, what you see in David's words is our answer is not, we need to stop hiding. But our answer is, we need to find a better place to hide. David says, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. The problem with our hiding, the problem with the fronts that we put up, is that our hiding always leaves us trapped. Trapped by our lies. Trapped by our deception. And even when we manage to keep all that stuff from the people around us, even when we are never found out, you can't hide from God. All our lies, all our secrecy, all of it is just fig leaves before God. And one day, Scripture tells us that we will have to stand before His holy judgment completely exposed. But the gospel, the gospel message is that Jesus can cover you then. When people think about the promises of Christianity, if you're asking your friend on the street, you know, what, what does a Christian believe? Probably the first thing that comes to their mind, I hope, is, is the forgiveness of sins. 
And of course, that is a true hope of Christianity. That's one of our foundational ideas, right? That Christ on the cross paid the legal penalty for our sins. That he was righteous and he was punished for our unrighteousness. That he died in our place, that he suffered in our place, so that everyone who trusts in him by faith, there is no longer any wrath left for sin. But you know what's interesting? When Paul is trying to encourage the Colossians, when he's trying to encourage them towards holiness, he doesn't talk about the forgiveness of sins. You know what he says? He says, Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. He reminds them not only that their penalty has been paid, but that their life is hidden in Christ. You see, the gospel is the only place where we can hide securely. Because in the gospel, first of all, Jesus has dealt with our sin. He's done the deep cleaning. He's washed us with his blood on the cross. But he also deals with our insecurities by hiding us in himself. The gospel is union with Christ. His life is our life. That means that only faith in him can give us the clothing that we need instead of the the fig leaves of our manicured personas that we show off. Not that fragile picture of a good man, of an honorable woman that we try to show off to the world, but real, actual righteousness. That's what he gives us. That's what he clothes us with. True honor. And if that's true of you, if your life is hidden in Christ, then that means everything is different. It means you don't have to hide anymore. There's no reason to conceal your transgressions or your failures because the penalty for them has been paid. There's nothing to fear. Do you understand that? If you're in Christ, there's nothing to fear. You are secure because you have a Savior. That's the power of the Christian life. But note our passage here says that that we're not supposed to just confess our sins. But what else does it say? He who confesses and what? Remember? Come on, you guys got Bibles. Forsakes, right? He who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Now, forsake, that's not a word we use all the time. Now, you might have heard it recently if you, like I did, got to go to a wedding this summer. right? You know, it it makes a cameo in the, the marriage vows. Do you promise to love him, comfort him, honor and keep him for better or for worse, in sickness and in health, and forsaking all others? Be faithful only to him as long as you both shall live. Forsaking. Forsaking is the hardest part of repentance. Because let's be honest. We like our sin. Right? It might be killing us. 
It might be ruining our lives, but deep down, we like it. Or else we wouldn't do it. Forsaking sin is hard. Especially when, when forsaking it means turning from doing this thing I like to nothing. That never works. That's why our diets always fail, right? <laughs> we go from having full and happy stomachs to hungry, empty ones. <laughs> and pretty soon we're back at JP Licks, you know, with a, a triple scoop and a chocolate dip waffle cone. Or so I've heard, I don't know. Um, <laughs> we can't just say, I'm going to stop. When we do that, we end up right back where we started. We end up right back in that old sin again. But when you really repent, what the gospel says is that you're not just turning away from something, but what? You're turning to someone. It's like those vows on that wedding day. You say, I will gladly forsake all others if I get to have you. Here's the promise. For anyone who confesses and forsakes their sin, it says they will obtain mercy. So that means there's just one last thing we need to talk about really quickly. If that's the case, if the gospel promises you a life where sins are paid for, where we are promised that we will receive mercy for our sins, if you know that for a fact, church, why are you still hiding? This isn't new information. This is the same gospel we preach every single week. And yet, I know that in this room, there are some people here who are being eaten apart by guilt and shame. There's people in this room who are, are dressed up, who have a smile on their face, and inside they feel like they are being crushed. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're at a place today where you just feel overwhelmed by the weight of life. Maybe you have been living in a relationship that you know is not honoring to God and it is wearing you down. Maybe your marriage feels like it's falling apart and you don't know if anybody would understand. And maybe you're a slave to pornography or, or alcohol or to some other kind of addiction and you don't want anyone to know. And maybe, maybe you're just at that place today where as you're thinking about this sermon, you're realizing that you've lived your whole life trying to cover up. And today you realize you need someone who can really cover you. Well, that's you today. Whoever you are, this word is for you. Hiding is not going to do you any good. Expose your sin and come hide in Him. Folks, if you can't find mercy here at the church, if you can't find it here in the body of Christ, where are you going to find it? We say it a lot. The church is not a, a museum for saints. 
It's a hospital for sinners. It's a place for people where the the vows for entry are, I'm a desperate sinner and my only hope is Jesus. If this is you, I want to invite you to come up here today at this table and expose your sin. Stop hiding behind the fig Forsake that image. Forsake your togetherness. And come. Find mercy at this table. Now, folks, every week when we do this, we pray. And I and we invite you to come up here and 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 let us lay hands on you. And I want to invite you again just like every week, to do that. But I want to encourage you this time. Don't hold back. Don't wait. His mercy is new every morning. It's available for you right now. 